Welcome, everybody, to episode 12 of North of the Shire. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing all right. Yourself? Normally, your introductions have sort of pizzazz, but this was like, welcome to episode 12. (laughs) (laughs) They can't all be gems, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) All righty, all righty. How are you doing, sir? I'm I'm doing good. I just came in from a walk, and oh my god, it's it must be like minus twenty out. It's it's freezing. Uh, so so uh, yeah, I could use a hot chocolate, but that's not happening right now. Uh, I bet you got a hat on. I can see you got the hat and sweater. I know. On I still nine. got the toque on. That's I still right. got the toque. It's got the toques on. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything going on in the uh, in the hobbying department this week? We just talked to each other a few days ago, it seemed like. So this is like a, we're trying to jump back in, like get ahead of things by a week. So I know we're trying to do like our weekly thing where before we were doing a bi-weekly and it's just like, hey, what have you done the last week? And I'm like, I've stared at my hobby painting section, (laughs) but I haven't really touched it. Middle of February, middle of February, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Oh, okay. All right. All right. How about you? I haven't actually done... um, much in the way of actual painting or anything, although I may tomorrow because tomorrow is Friday and I am I'm off on a vacation day tomorrow. What? So looking forward to doing some hobbying tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that will be good. Uh, but I have actually been tinkering, and I uh, like I mentioned before, like I like writing lists and mm-hmm. coming up with different stories or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think I mentioned in an episode maybe last episode or a couple episodes ago that I uh, was working on a alternate Angmar list for battle companies. Mm-hmm. Um, just because like, not that I dislike the list that's in the book, but I think it comes with a lot of problems, but I think they really missed out on something mm-hmm. uh, in that list. And uh, we can talk a bit about that if you are interested. Sure. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, yeah, like in that list, it's basically just orcs. And the special rule for the faction is kind of a watered down version of transfix that your heroes can get as a special rule. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem with that is that late campaign, like battle companies is a funny thing because although you could play battle companies up to... 20 games with a battle company Mm -hmm. normally the way battle companies goes like after four five six games you Mm -hmm. kind of stop playing because um it just it's just difficult to get together like unless you have a solid group of people that constantly get together and play it kind of peters out after about half a dozen games which is a shame Mm -hmm. um uh, we can talk a lot more about that on another episode because I have lots of ideas about that. But mm-hmm. anyways, um, in late campaign, the problem with uh, the existing battle company, or not the problem, but what will happen is that you're eventually going to get three dead marsh specters in your warband, mm-hmm. and then probably half of your heroes are going to have this special rule. Right. And so what's going to happen every time you win priority, you're going to be you're going to have like seven models in your warband that will impose a courage check on your opponent. Mm-hmm. So it's just going to be brutal to play against it and it'll become really tedious in the game and mm-hmm. like that power in battle companies is ridiculously good. 
because even if you can keep one or two models out of the action it's enough to for you to get a huge advantage and the big problem not problem again i gotta stop trying to be negative it's like I know, it's ridiculous. what i would prefer would be mm-hmm. that they have a, a um what do they call them? Not classes, paths. Mm-hmm. They have a path called the beast path, right? Mm-hmm. Which you can have like wargs or spiders or bats become beasts, right? Mm-hmm. But in battle companies, unfortunately, it's rarely ever seen because A, there are no bats that can actually take that path. There's no bat in the game that can become a hero. So hmm. I kind of think that was either a typo or just a mistake or possibly some kind of future proofing that maybe didn't Mm -hmm. quite work out the way they thought um you can do spiders but there are so few factions in the game that start with a spider uh it's very difficult and i think one of the spiders can't become a hero Mm. i forget which yeah so that leaves wargs Mm -hmm. and on, on the Hobbit side, Felwargs, there's a few factions or a couple factions that start with Felwargs. But on the Lord of the Rings side, there's, I don't know, like I think the only faction that starts with a Felwarg is the Warg Rider faction. Doesn't but, the, no, no, it's the um, Dol Guldur, uh, the Hunter Orcs. That's a Felwarg. Yeah, so, oh, oh, you're talking about like a wild I'm talking work. wild work because okay, like work. that whole, that whole, um, the reason that path exists is basically because of like things like Shelob, the spider queen and the wild warg chieftain. Mm-hmm. And the wild warg chieftain is an Angmar model. Mm. So if there's ever a faction that should be able to take the beast path it's Angmar, and in the current one, it can't take it. So, like, I came, kind of came up with my own faction that sort of got rid of that special rule, changed it with another special rule that I just took from another battle company, which is your model now causes terror. It's called Vicious Scars, mm-hmm. right? So goes in line with Angmar fairly well. Um, and just, like, with the, with the Path of the Beast, you can get Harbinger of Evil, which imposes a negative one on your courage, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of, they sort of wrote themselves into a corner with, with that new special rule they took. Mm-hmm. Because you can't have a, a faction that has, like, half a dozen models causing your opponent to have courage checks and also a guy that that gives your opponent negative one on their, on their dice. Say- that just yeah that would be brutal it would pretty much make the game uh, unplayable yeah so i think actually including wargs and allowing the beast path to be taken is more important than that made up special rule so like the the faction i designed actually has um a couple of wild wargs in mm-hmm. your starting group um and you can get them in your list and like i allowed for an upgrade to the wild warg which is the wild warg alpha Mm -hmm. and you get like a special rule added on cave dweller and you pay a point for it but it's like something where you can track your experience if you're Mm -hmm. uh just a warrior not a hero Mm -hmm. um and because because that army is kind of bereft of any a lot of interesting models because it's basically orcs, wild wargs, orc trackers, warg riders, dead marks, 
specter. So there's not a lot mm. in there. So for fun, I added in a orc berserker as well. So there's mm. a lots of different, you know, there's Urukai berserkers and there's Gundabad berserker, but there's no actual orc berserker. So mm. like came up with a, an idea for an orc berserker, which is just your regular orc with a two-handed weapon courage bumped up to three instead of two and the burly special rule oh, so nifty. not not at all overpowered but something fun that you can do a little bit of uh converting and stuff with and you know charge eight points for them so mm -hmm. you're paying one for burly basically Pretty and much. one for for courage, courage three, three. Yeah. so and like it's only one for for burly because well it's a defense four model so and That's it has only a strength three. Yeah, and it's fight three, strength three. So it's like, but it's something, you know, it's something yeah. for the for the warband. So um, going along with that, I have a question for you. So oh. Hobby Bingo. Hobby Bingo. Hobby Bingo is out. Mm -hmm. And there is a bingo square mm -hmm. that says start a battle company. Right. So the question is, what does that mean? So what do you have to do actually to check that box, start a battle company? Because in all the other mm. things where they want you to paint something, they say they want you to paint it. Mm -hmm. um, so in this, I'm kind of assuming that like writing out a battle company, getting the models out and playing a game, that would equate to starting a battle company. I think it would, yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping to play my made up wilds of angmar battle company mm -hmm. and see how it goes and check that box off the bingo okay well you know there's this thing called tabletop simulator and it works fantastically i'm, I'm assuming with battle companies just because you don't have to be so precise with the movements and the measuring there's only a half dozen to a dozen models per side you know uh -huh. yeah yeah i have battle co or i have tabletop simulator um i haven't really figured it out yet it's it's a little complicated looking and not too sure my computer is robust enough it for will that. handle it for sure yeah yes but we'll we'll give it a try we'll give it you, a try you know if, if you give it a whirl and and you find it works I'm sure I know two other guys, aside from myself, <laughs> that um, will jump into a Battle Companies League with yeah. you uh, that we could then talk about. <laughs> yeah, hey, let's do it. Yeah, Well, I know Garrett. Is, Garrett has been actually giving us a hard time about, about not jumping into it because, you know, it's been quite a few months since we've both had that and mm -hmm. we haven't done it. Well, his response uh, when I said to him, hey, do you have any training stuff? And he's like, I taught you how to use it. And I'm like, you taught me how to use it in August. It's January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked last time about ordering models out of the um, made to order and whatever. Yeah, and right. um, Garrett mentioned that uh, he actually bought something, which is the first thing he's bought for a while. I oh, think he, he got the uh, he got the attack on Amon Hen. Amon Hen, is yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and because um, he's going to be doing his Lurtz's scout army, so mm -hmm. he wanted some more of the metal uh, Urukai scouts, and I think mm -hmm. he wanted Gimli, so he was asking us if we wanted anything, and I'm like, hey, yeah, I wouldn't mind the Boromir got shot of full of arrows because it's the only model out of the set that I actually don't have, so... Yeah. So I'll be getting that off of him. Yeah, well, you know, he he uh, well he, he gave it to. I thought he said he was going to keep it and use it as an objective marker. 
No, I think he said he already had one that he was oh. going to use. Well, I'll have to ask him now. I thought oh. he said he already had I one. I said he was going to keep it. Uh, you know, funny story about Bormir. I was, uh, I was reading on Facebook today in one of my breaks uh, some random post uh, on Reddit that someone shared on the Articon uh, Facebook page talking about how um, the character of Boromir is like the most awesome character uh, in Lord of the Rings and how as you get older as a human being, uh, you, it, 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 Boromir becomes so much more profound. And I'm like, okay, because I've always seen Boromir as kind of like a, a bit of a nuisance. Um, he's like, yeah, okay, cool. He's a cool guy, but then he always screws up. But then as this person was describing in their essay-like response, um, he pretty much summed it up as Aragorn is the person humanity aspires to be, um, whereas Boromir is who we are. We're all flawed. You know, we all fail. We all make mistakes. And for the most part, we all try to varying degrees. We try to be successful, you know, like the, the whole idea of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We try to do these things, but we make mistakes and we end up failing. And all we ever see about our lives is our failures. We never focus on what we have accomplished. You know, so when you, Boromir's on the end of his days, end of his moments at the Battle of Amon Hen, full of arrows, and he's asking Aragorn for forgiveness. He forgets the fact that he taught Merry and Pippin how to fight. He defended them, even though he tried to steal the ring from Frodo, fully knowing that, you know, he wasn't in control of himself. And even Frodo later on acknowledges that uh, I don't bear Boromir any ill will. It was the ring who had, uh, who had control over him. It wasn't Boromir, Boromir's actions. And Boromir even, you know, like the, the essay continues to expound that Boromir was this person who defended Minas Tirith with his life and he, and he saved so many hundreds and thousands of people over the course of his life fighting in the battles against Mordor, you know, as Giliath and all the areas surrounding and how he didn't want to go to Rivendell. Like, like he was fully happy with Faramir going and he would stay and defend Minas Tirith. But because his dad was like, yo, too bad, so sad, you're going, Boromir reluctantly went. He's like, yeah, you're number one. You got to go. Exactly. But he was like, you got to go get the ring for me and bring it back here. That's right. And it was never, for Boromir, it was never about keeping the ring sort of for himself. It was about using it as a weapon to fight Sauron, to to save his people, which, you know, again, it's those good intentions, which will ultimately yeah, lead yeah. to his downfall. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. Well, we had a listener... Uh, answer a question once and he he mentioned something about this and he mentioned how it was it was kind of some kind of duality I don't know if I use that word correctly in this instance but whereas uh, like Isildur like succumbed to the ring and mm. ended up getting shot in the back with orcs and uh, Boromir uh, he he kind of well I guess he didn't really resist it but um, he ended up sort of coming to his senses about it or whatever and trying to save the hobbits and mm -hmm. he died with like arrows in his front. So, you yeah. know. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's just this idea of like redemption versus, you know, essentially cowardice and running away. Um, and I don't know, I just, I just, when I read it, I'm like, dang. And there's a lot more to the essay. Uh, so if you're part of the Articon Facebook group, uh, I highly recommend you read it. Uh, it was posted uh, or shared by Peter 
Um, and highly recommend you read it. It's uh, a fascinating read, especially when you align it to your own life. Hmm, cool. I am actually not part of that group because I have never been to Articon. Mm. So maybe you could flip it over to me somehow. Sure. Absolutely. That'd be cool. Talking about Facebook groups, or actually in our case, it's the Facebook page. So we got our oh. Facebook page up. I think we mentioned it at the end of of the last episode. We did. We did. We, we got our Facebook page up and, you know, we got 1,700 likes already. And we've got <laughs> yeah, like... right. <laughs> <laughs> more like 40-ish likes something like that yeah yeah we're we're, we're getting brand a few new. more yeah, getting well, a few more here and there but you know we're just like it's it's coming along but it's i'm looking forward to actually using that's the thing no it's the th now that we actually have a facebook page we mm -hmm. got to actually like post stuff on the facebook page well, you yeah. know, we, we've talked about um, our, our questions and asking people to give us mm -hmm. questions and how they can use the non-archaic form of uh, communication, which is Facebook. Well, it's still antiquated by many people, but it's yeah. not email. Uh, so if you want to jump on our Facebook page, North of the Shire podcast, uh, we have a post up regarding questions and just fire off some questions that you might have for us. And uh, among other things, we'll we'll post all of our amazing uh, photos of our models, mostly Chris's. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not mine. Uh, Let's be honest here. <laughs> yes. And that is absolutely going to be the place to go to find all of our episode links when we have new episodes pop up. We can post pictures of other things that we do that aren't necessarily like incredibly well-painted models. Well, I think we're also going to be posting work in progress shots of our, ch of our, uh, what is it, of our um, challenger armies, aren't we? Our or army challenge, yeah. Our army challenge. Yeah, that's, that's, right. that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good call. Good call. Because it, um, it also forces me to then start painting the, on a regular basis. Right on right on yeah. and like to me this year too is like i'm i i'm gonna have a little bit more focus on the hobby bingo this year because it's actually something to do mm -hmm. like it's actually something that i can look at and like work on yep. and feel like i'm getting stuff done mm -hmm. um but anyway yeah actually i i don't know if you've listened to it yet but out of the frying pan podcast i had another episode oh, yeah. uh, they just put up uh, i think yesterday or the day before maybe uh and they had been they had been off through Christmas and took a little bit longer to to come back than they expected. So it was good to to listen to them. And they spent quite a bit of time talking about Hobby Bingo. It's a really good episode if mm -hmm. you wanted to listen to that. Mm -hmm. um, but in that, they mentioned, and I can't believe I missed this, but Charles Lynn of Into the West podcast and West Coast Cob Hobbit group um, came in second in armies on parade in um what's the name of the category again i forget it's like all the rest or whatever it's not 40k Other and it's not open, age or, it's open i think is it yeah but he came in second with like an incredible um diorama of helm's deep siege with the exploding wall oh yeah I absolutely saw that. fantastic yeah oh, it was unbelievable i saw it and i'm just yeah. like yes that's exactly how my urukai look all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just really i just i don't know if anyone had already posted it on our group our home group the osbgl but i just put up a link to it and congratulated mm. him because it's like oh my god i can't believe i missed this but it was posted like almost right around christmas time so 
I guess maybe that's why. I don't know. Yeah. But incredible, incredible display. If you haven't seen it, go and look at it. It's 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 wonderful. It's really nice to see a Canadian work. be up there in the top yeah, rankings. Yeah, you know? it, it, great to see a Canadian in there, and also great to see MESBG in there because mm-hmm. it's uh, it was the only one out of the three, of course. I think the other two in that category were both Blood Bowl, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Great game, but MESBG all the way. Absolutely, absolutely. But we both did get the new Blood Bowl, so we will be playing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One last thing too, we mentioned last week that, uh, or last episode that Games Workshop had identified they were coming out with a new game. Mm -hmm. So that was released. Uh, And it is in fact a new Warhammer Quest game, Cursed City. That's right, all about vampires and fighting them. So it's all about the undead and, you know, witch hunters and all of that kind of goodness. So that looks really good. Uh, And I think I probably will indulge in that. You know what? By the time you get that fully painted up, we'll be able to see each other. Probably. (laughs) You know, when we do eventually get to a point where we can all get together, like let's Mm -hmm. say you and Garrett and Chris and I can get together to game. Do you know like how much competition there is going to be for games? Oh my god! Yes. Like, there's going to be so much competition for what game are we going to play? Oh yeah, it's going to be going to be nuts. Well, I think it, it should be a, a game of MESPG, just because I want to be able to play that before I go to my first tournament, to buff- so I don't look like a buffoon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we do. We did say that we were going to play our um, like do a bit of a round robin event with our armies that we're painting up. So that's yeah. probably going to be in there. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this before. I think it's realistic to assume that we could probably start playing that before we'll be at tournaments because we still have a long way to go before we're going to get to a tournament, let's face it. And I mean, we are lagging a little bit behind in in getting our population vaccinated, and I don't think that's going to change in in a big hurry. So Pfizer has decided to stall out uh, on sending stuff to Canada because they're building a new factory for us. So it's probably going to be at least a one-month lag. Unfortunately. So yeah. awesome. Yeah. Good times had by all, except Canadians. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's get some other vaccines approved, people. Well, we have, they have, they're working on one in Montreal, I think it was. Like a Montreal-based company with distribution centers and production facilities is working diligently on getting one done and approved. Hopefully they get it done by the summer times and get it approved so it can be released yeah. to the general population. Yeah, yeah. It would be nice if we could at least have like a couple of tournaments, you know, before December this year. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, is that it for our chit chat? And should we move on to our main segment? I think so. Okay, let's do it. All right, and we are here for our main segment. And actually, um, we're recording this kind of in a weird order because uh, a week ago now we recorded the intro section Mm -hmm. and we recorded All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter. Yes. And what happened, Andrew? Well, this is what happens when you record your main section second you say, oh, I got all the time in the world to answer questions and talk, and all of a sudden, <laughs> all that is gold does not glitter becomes the, the episode. 
<laughs> well, the ironic thing too is you will hear shortly when we start all that is gold and does not glitter. We talk about only doing three questions because we have to be really disciplined with our time management. Otherwise, you know, we go over and things have to get cut out of the episode. And I guess what's getting cut out of this episode is, well, the main segment. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So we're not having a main segment today because all that is gold does not glitter. Um has become virtually the main segment of this episode. And we are doing some uh, listener Q&A in, in that segment. Um, but I don't know if you've listened to it, Andrew, but in within the last week, well, after we recorded between now and then, uh, Green Dragon put out an, an episode and it's kind of, kind of in the vein of what we've been doing, sort of high level stuff and they call it critical analysis. And as as part of that episode, did you did you listen to it? I've listened to like eighty percent of it. I'm enjoying it. I'm just trying to get through. Yeah, it's bits. it's fairly long, as their episodes lately tend to be in the three or four hour mark. So, mm-hmm. um, as part of that, they have um, they do a what what's your least favorite and most favorite things about MESBG, and and ironically, one of the questions that we answer in all that is gold is is that question from one of our listeners. And kind of crazy how similar the the answers are we give, like very close on a couple of them. Um, so if for some reason you haven't listened to the Green Dragon before listening to this, go and listen to the Green Dragon's episode, Critical Analysis, after you listen to this, and you'll really see what we're talking about there. Pretty much, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say if you hadn't said it, I was gonna say finish this episode first, then go listen to the Green Dragons. Yeah, yeah. Episode. Fin- finish, finish this first. Of finish course, this first. But. Priorities, priorities, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it was funny. I was listening to it, and I'm like, wow, we talk about that and that and that. I, I think it's just more of a matter of uh, you know we're all swimming in a very small pool here. Like the game is actually not all that big, so uh, eventually people talk about the same things, but. Let us now move on to what will become the main segment of this episode. Yes. All that is gold does not glitter. All right, we're here for All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter. And we are still going through our backlog of listener questions uh, I think we've still got five or six uh, to get through. But what we've kind of decided is, is we're going to try to uh, keep it down to three mm-hmm. just because uh, we're very conscious of time, uh, trying to keep our podcast in around the 90 minute mark. So Ideally. if we if we go through too many questions, it takes too long or we speed up and don't give thorough answers. So we're going to try to go with uh, three questions. And the first question Andrew Mm -hmm. is from Simon and he says there have been some big errata changes for example the shades chill aura are there any changes you're not happy with or there are there any other models you would like to see changed either buffed or nerfed regards Simon from the OSBGL hmm so there you go. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, there is one thing I'd love to see changed. Uh-huh. I'd love 
for every model that's a part of an army list to automatically gain that army list keyword. Because it has led to some weird and kind of wonky things. Like, you know, he talked about the shades Chill Aura. Well, with the new um, FAQ that pretty much says um, the shades Chill Aura only affects, uh, you know, non-enemy or non-friendly Angmar models. The Cave Troll doesn't have the Angmar keyword. Yeah, All of a sudden, mean, it's, yeah. it's affected by the shades Chill Aura, which is like, that doesn't make any sense. And there's a lot of other sort of weird nuances. Like, for example, Isengard. If you're not running Isengard models, which the only Isengard models are the Urukai, you don't benefit from their army bonus of 66%, um, right? So starting to test for break at 66%. Yeah. So all of a sudden it's like, wait, if I take orcs, I have to test a certain subset of my models sooner than my Isengard, my, my Urukai. It just mm -hmm. creates a lot of these weird situations. And I feel like you can solve that problem by just creating like um, a special rule, like a catch-all special rule that says that like this particular model is only or only has this keyword, right? Um, like for example, the Hasharan, right? The Hasharan can be in both Harad and they can also be in the Corsairs of Umbar. So if you gave the Hasharan the Corsairs of Umbar keyword, guess what? They get backstabbers, which makes them ludicrously strong. Com com comboing Bane of Kings with rerolls to wound with plus one to wound from the backstabbers uh, makes them ridiculously powerful. So you could just like give them a special rule which says they only count as having the Harad keyword, right? Yeah. So you could do that for those certain corner cases where you don't want to increase the power level while still at the same time allowing models that are a part of an army list to enjoy the benefits of the army list bonus or the synergies of the army itself. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't think it would be an exhaustive list. Like if they decided to go through it uh, at one of the new FAQ updates, you know, they could probably go through it faction by faction and, and just do an errata. Because I know in the new legendary legions and stuff that are coming out, they're definitely paying attention to keyword. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. I know they, they do mention it in, in several of the new legendary legions. Um, so that that's actually a good one. And I know um, in regards to heroes, I think he mentioned models. Um, we have mentioned a few models over the dozen episodes that we've done so far and mm -hmm. i know you mentioned last time like galadriel lady of light probably yeah. probably the most in need of a, a thorough nerfing um a but we've mentioned down. also there are a bunch toning down yeah <laughs> um but um well he used the word nerfing not me mentioned a bunch of other models in in the game in the mesvg edition that got the that got the old double tap and and now those models are never used right mm -hmm. um so there's a lot of those models there's probably half a dozen models like that that could be um given given a little love or whatever the problem is now though that when will that ever happen? Like the only time you're gonna see that happen, you're not gonna see that happen in errata. It, they they no. won't do that. Like they're not gonna change the point value of a model in the errata, I don't think. No. Um, you're gonna see that happen probably when a supplement comes out. Mm -hmm. So so some of these models, um, if they've already had a supplement, like um, the Feral Urukai, for example, is one, right? You're not gonna see any change to that model now no. because, because their, their supplements are already been out so 
Yeah. It's very unlikely. I think they'll go back and take a second look at that. Whereas the um, the Moria Goblin used to be the uh, Gundabad Black Shield. And now I think, what's it called now? Just the Black Shield or something? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's the Moria Goblin as a unit, which is the Chaff unit. Yeah. And then there's the Black Shield, the, the, yeah. the, the Gundabad Black Shield. Yeah, that, that's another one where it got hit a little bit too hard, but it's had not had a new supplement. So, you know, you may see something happen with that. Yeah. Um, same with like the Ruffian, like the Shire mm-hmm. book's already been out. So the Ruffian is what it is. It's the worst model in the game and that's not going to change. But like, it's a shame if they leave that model, the profile the way it is now, because it is just so dramatically bad that it's... Yeah never going to see any table time well what i'd love to see happen is they buff ring rates yes i said it they when they took the mm-hmm. sledgehammer to ring rates they took it to them five times over and don't get into that one right now because you're going to be talking about that in a second on yeah but i mean like throw a little bit of love you don't have to fix the magic <laughs> don't fix the magic that's fine but like throw a little bit of love the other way yeah. and let's do something with that let me take you off course on that and you're talking about magic a little bit there Mm -hmm. and one of the things that i would like to see happen Mm -hmm. um with the nerfing of the spell fury Mm -hmm. okay so fury is there because shamans are there right pretty much fury and shamans go hand in hand except for anger except for angmar shamans but yeah yeah um but the thing is now that fury has been nerfed uh like shamans in the game now sure maybe they still have a a place but they're quite lame in the game now Mm -hmm. um, because of that nerfing of fury so one thing that i would really like to see happen for orc and goblin shamans or shamans is i would like to see them get another spell like give them a third spell and give them an additional point of will so that you could do something in the game Mm-hmm. Um, like maybe give them like curse and or enchanted blades, like some kind of spell like that, just so you can do something in the game other than cast fury or try to cast transfix on a five plus or whatever. Yeah, like I, I think they should they should sort of copy uh, the Angmar Shaman, right? They should give the Angmar Shaman fury because it's really mm-hmm. stupid that the army that is most accustomed to being around spirits has no ability to make courage checks. Whatever. Yeah, it is a little odd. But they should give them all wither. Wither on a 3 plus for a shaman is a nasty power when you're coming up against good. And guess what? It also helps you deal with good heroes because wither reduces your opponent's strength permanently by one. Now imagine a Boromir or a Faramir or a Huron all of a sudden going from that critical strength four down to strength three. That, yeah, that would makes be, a be huge. big deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then guess what? You can heroically channel Wither so that it's D3 strength. Um, and then you could potentially knock a hero down to strength two, strength one, and you just pretty much neuter them. And uh, what it does is it also allows you to be able to take a shaman and give it some versatility you know like if i'm playing evil i'm generally taking the shaman for terror right uh mm-hmm. and trying to avoid getting hit with a ring rates a rare sap will 
But if I'm fighting good, a shaman is very rarely used unless you're coming up against Rivendell with Cure-Dan, or you're coming up against the Dead of Dunharo, right? Or the occasional, um, like there's also um, Mirkwood with uh, Thranduil and his uh, crown of uh, stupid. Mm-hmm. But vast his majority, crown of stupid. Well, his crown of there's kind of his aura of dismay built in. He's got uh, wrath of uh, nature's wrath yeah, built I, in. I, I didn't know that that was what it was called. Crown well, it's stupid because when I play against it, it's stupid. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. but the vast majority of good armies are not terror causing, right? So when you bring a shaman, yeah. it's pretty useless to take. But if I bring a shaman and I have wither with me, that that gives me more tools to use my tool belt. Right. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. And like the Angmar Shaman does actually have Wither, but not Fury. That's right. So I think it should have like Fury and Wither. And if you want to get rid of Transfix, that's cool. Have Fury and Wither both on a three plus and give them four will. And even if you bump them up to 55 points or whatever he is at now, plus five points for the extra will, that's cool because then it makes you want to take a model that says, ooh, this guy's got some utility and I like it, you know? Right on, right on. Mm-hmm. I agree, I agree. Let's go to the next question. Uh, we have Michael C. Michael. from right. the OSBGL. And he says, given that you're looking for listener questions, now that we're a few years on, mm-hmm. which, and he means since the new edition, yeah. uh, which of these statements do you think is more accurate? So the first statement is, the MESBG edition significantly improved balance, like in the game. Mm-hmm. Or the MESBG edition shook up the meta without really changing overall balance, i.e., are there still the same degree of competitive and uncompetitive armies and options? even if what falls into either category changed from addition to addition? Well, I think the answer, in my opinion, is definitely B. The MESPG shook up the meta without really changing overall balance. Of course it is, yeah. It, it just sort of shifted um, where the meta is versus balancing the meta. I mean, we, we I, I talked very uh, briefly about the Ringwraith nerf. Well, guess what? Last edition, you never saw big heroes because ringwraiths were so powerful, they just neutered big heroes into oblivion. Mm-hmm. Now, the ringwraiths have been hit so many times with the nerf bat, both in um, their their stat line and in the magic they use and in their ability to use their special uh, powers and having that to cost them will and in... Um, the fell beasts themselves being hit hard with hurl and other heroic action, uh, monster actions and that kind of thing. All yeah. of these things hit the Wingwraith fell beast, which guess what has allowed big heroes to come back into the game. And I totally understand you need to do that because you need to allow those options. Because with more options comes more diversity. But the problem is you've again swung the pendulum too far the other way, and so you have this overbalancing. Um, we have the swinging where you saw a lot more. We saw more evil armies than good last edition. Now you're seeing more good armies than evil armies this edition. Because yeah, and and like rather than having a balance, it, it's created kind of like the revolving door thing. So instead of um, you know and don't mean to be harsh like we've mentioned before that you know it's it's a very difficult thing to get this kind of thing right um 
but instead of making changes that will will cause both of those types of hero to be on the table it's basically one of them is now out and the other one is now in you know right. so it used to be all ring wraiths on fell beast and because of that nobody was taking the big good heroes right. well now there's no more ring wraiths on fell beasts on the table and everybody is taking big good heroes right it also creates the um i'll call it the space marine effect which is from 40k right where in space springs your your error of forgiveness is really high right you can bounce back after a bad turn right and, and the previous edition um like certain armies would like when you look at isengard and you look at urukai span that's an army that its error of forgiveness was was pretty high because it could bounce back because it was a really mm-hmm. resilient army now, when you look at the lethality of the line breaker, hero shock, that kind of thing, the pendulum is swung in that good armies, which are already really good, um, are very much in some ways autopilot. I smash your lines, I kill like 20 of your infantry models, your warrior models, and you're on my back foot, right? I don't have as many mm-hmm. models as you did at the beginning, but after the first round of combat, our, our model counts will be evened up uh, and I'll have the advantage. Okay, whereas good armies or evil armies, I should say, have to rely upon the tricks to neuter heroes. And those tricks are magic, again, which is nerfed, but so you have to use magic in combination with heroes or trapping. Like you see the famous Witch King of Angmar plus Gulavar combo to kill heroes. Fantastic combo. But I'll say this. And this is from listening to the Green Dragon podcast. And if I said it wrong, I, I, I stand corrected. Kylie's Angmar list um, took her a year to design and play test to get it to a point where she could go to Masters and win with it. Does she now say that Angmar is in, like one of the best lists in the game? Yes, because she's figured out the, the tricks of the trade and she's also an incredibly, incredibly skilled general, like one of the best in the world. Okay. But to be able to play Angmar at her level with just picking it's up not, her list. It's not an autopilot no, at all. It's, not it's the auto, opposite of that. It's not an autopilot at all. The skill level required to figure it out, to figure out the placement of Gulivar, to be able to plan three turns in advance, not have him shot to death, because guess what? Gulivar dies very easily to arrows, if you haven't noticed. Um, that skill level is very high and it takes a long time to like to learn it to master it right and only a certain level of people are going to be able to play it at her level mm-hmm. so right off the hop um, you need to just acknowledge that the evil armies in general don't have as much forgiveness as good armies because they have to rely upon those tricks to work to lock down heroes good heroes to be able to neutralize and kill them they really struggle with that and so there's a skill level component to it plus there's also a dice probability component to it like if you listen to the after action report from kylie talking about articon and talking about playing jay claire she said it herself my witch king was on fire casting spells he didn't fail a single roll uh yes he has the crown of morgul but he was like she was like i was rolling my witch king he was rolling fives and sixes every time i casted a spell which made it incredibly difficult for jay to block it with lindir's magic resistance Mm -hmm. and it's like 
what the heck? Like that's something where like the stars are aligning it a little bit there um, to sort of making your situation um, way better than what it normally would be on average. Right. Yeah. But to your point, like in, in that case, you're talking about successfully getting off a spell of which now in the current game, there's a lot of different ways you can resist it versus on the good side, you know, the sheer brute force of like a hero mounted charging it's like much easier to have like a devastating impact with the the good mounted hero than it is with like a finesse spellcaster uh in the current edition Mm -hmm. and and you know i just want to throw something out too like we're getting like we're really going after like a couple aspects of the game but like there were smaller things that they did do in the current edition which did have an effect like we talked before about piercing strike right mm -hmm. they you know that that was pretty overpowered in the previous edition so they they did calm that down and Mm -hmm. it did it did have an impact and i think it had the desired impact it just it wasn't nearly as overwhelming as the stuff that we've been talking about well i think the 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 changes to um special strikes were big right like when you changed faint to be equal or higher fight value uh and you made stab be um lower fight value you pretty much made it so that you toned down the lethality of strikes of special strikes Mm -hmm. which i think is what they wanted to do um because yeah when you know you talk about um goblin town and like a four point goblin having the ability to strike up to strength six you know, yeah. trapping a model because you're horde, two strength six attacks, killing a defense six model. It's like it's really yeah. the odds are well in your favor that you're gonna pull this like, off. If there's anything ever that's on autopilot, that is on autopilot. Right. Or or the old um Corsairs of Umbar Reaver spam where they were fight five with two attacks, and guess what? Everyone took axes because they were free back then. You you get the strength four with two dice, and it was just you were mowing stuff down. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, there's, there's done a lot of changes. Um, I'm not disputing that at all, but I still think there was a meta shift and I feel like they could have tweaked the game a little more. Like what I'm seeing, there's a trend, um, and this is my own you know, bit of pet peeve, and that's there's a trend on shooting, which I'm not liking where it's going. And it's like... Is this why you're playing a shooting army now? Yes, because <laughs> like the prevalence of shooting and the power it brings to the table is starting to dip into... Um, it's becoming less of a tool in the toolbox and becoming more of a strategy that you win games with. And I think that's where we're starting to see MESPG move, a, move in a direction where I, I think it should curve back around because it's getting to the point now where it's like you need to hard counter with blinding light, right? Mm-hmm. And that all of a sudden you're creating these sort of like cookie cutter type lists where at the top, Good armies have blinding light, evil armies have mass shooting, or they have the Shadow Lord on Fell Beast or whatever. And it's like you're developing this hard counter sort of situation where it's like if you just tone down both, both the blinding light just made up minus one to hit, and the shooting itself to reduce everyone's to hit by one. If you just sort of tone that down again a bit, people can say, oh, cool, shooting's a tool in the toolbox. I might kill three or four models or five or six models over the course of the game. Cool. I only invested, you know, 20 points in it. That's good. That's exactly where it should be at versus like I invested 750 points into a shooting force and I just wiped out. I broke you before the first round of engagement. And it's Mm -hmm. like, 
blah, that's not fun. Well, like to me, it's fine when you have, you know, when you have armies that are 33% bows and your strength two bow and your four plus shoot, like, you know, that that's kind of the, the baseline. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you can get up to like 50% or higher bows, you're shooting at maybe higher than four plus, may possibly shooting something stronger than strength two. Mm-hmm. It, the, the effect of it is, is dramatic. And it's, that's the thing when you're when you're dealing with a game where there's only one size of die and it's a d6 like every pip on the die is worth a 17 percent change pretty much which is massive Mm -hmm. massive effect like if if you go from four plus to hit to three plus to hit it's it's 17 percent more hits it's huge it's like not small right and and when you look at that and you say to yourself well let's just you know, uh, let's ignore Grangers of Athelion for a minute. Let's look at Harad, right? 50% bow limit. They're poison weapons. They hit on three plus. Um, yeah, they're strength two bows, but it's like it's 50% bow limit. Like, I'm going to easily get back my points in shooting. And, well, yes, um, the General's Pack, in terms of the missions, has done a great job in forcing people to move. Um, at the same time, there are still games, lots of games, where people can stand still and they will even up the numbers difference very quickly from just shooting. And it's like, I have lost games because I've walked across a table and lost, you know, a dozen to 15 defense six models in three turns of shooting. Yeah. And my opponent was rolling average. And I'm like, well, my numbers advantage is now gone. So GG. Cool. Yeah, well, I mean... Um you had a game at uh, Nova. When was yeah. that? 2018. You played on either the top table or the second table second final trip. game, yeah. and you lost to shooting. Yeah. Uh, my right. opponent um, was a fantastic opponent. Rainier, I think it was. Um, he brought his Harad army. He had double Felbeast. I had single Wraith, Dark Marshal. But I brought a huge um, force of like Blackguard of Baradur and Moran and Orcs. Um, I outnumbered him probably, I had plus 15 models on him. Um, By the time we finally engaged in combat, I had even number of models. And he had two Felbeats to my zero. And it was like, well, my numbers advantage, which is what I was going to hope to win the day with, is gone because he just Mm -hmm. unloaded into me. Um, you know, with strength two bows at 50% bow limit and just mowed down model after model. And my fear was always this occurring, which is why I, at a higher point level games, 750, even 700 point games, I almost always have a blinding light option in my army. Always. Right on. Okay, well, we've kind of wandered pretty far off of Michael's question, but hopefully we, we gave our, our thoughts on, on answering that. So let's move on to our last question for today. Yes. And that is from Matteo. And he says, I'll read his uh, whole email here. It's it's pretty nice, but he's got a good question here as well. Hello, fellow strategy battle gamers. I recently discovered your podcast and thoroughly enjoyed listening through all the episodes, which I might or might not have binged in less than a single week. So keep up the good work. So that's pretty awesome. We appreciate that. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Way to go, Mateo. Um, Regarding the last podcast, I believe you wanted some questions to be asked from the audience. So my question for you is quite simple. 
Which mechanic of the Middle Earth strategy battle game do you feel works the best and which one works the least? For me personally, the best mechanic is the dual role as it allows for randomness and the single fight leading to quite epic moments at times while averaging out the whole battlefield and giving the advantage to the player with the better fight, more attacks and or better position. Mm. The uncertainty of the single fight allows some realism, mm -hmm. but the better strategy will prevail in the long run. I simply love it. The mechanic I hate the most is rolling off to see whose heroic combat slash move resolves first. Might is the best in-game resource, but there are some games where there is no real choice but to call that move and your opponent has no choice but to counter it. Yeah, that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So not much tactical insight uh, is required and a single roll-off uh, has a big impact on the overall game. Quite the opposite of the dual roll. Well, uh, these were my picks for best and worst mechanic, and I would love to hear yours. Have a good day, Matteo. And we actually talked about that last week, his last point about the heroic roll-off mm -hmm. for when a horde is getting charged by a line breaker mm -hmm. and how the first turn is going to be a nasty impact. And it all it's all kind of the game almost hinges on the turn after the charge mm -hmm. for the horde player. Oh, right? yeah. It always comes down to that. Yep. So, I'll first comment on that, and then I'll jump into the mechanic I like the most, and then we'll sort of alternate. I think for me, uh, in terms of the priority role, um, I gotta say this, if you've ever played other Games Workshop games, for example, uh, 40k, um, or Fantasy, not Age of Sigmar, but Fantasy, um, <laughs> the fixed turn um, structure where uh, we roll once at the beginning of the game and you will go first, I'll go second and that's always going to be the case. I go, you go. I go, you go. Well, it's you do your whole army, I do my whole army and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, you can lose a game right then and there, right? But when you can blow a might to go from a 0% chance of winning to a 50% chance of winning, that's a big odds increase right you mm -hmm. have to think about that like if might didn't exist it all comes down to the priority role if you whiff a priority role uh assuming we're talking about heroic moves for a moment actually no it does matter in the, in the, in the event of a heroic combat but if you whiff a priority role it's game over if you need to win it right mm -hmm. but what heroic move lets you do is it gives you a second chance um at regaining that priority you know, even if it's in a centralized location, that's six inch uh, radius around your hero. And man, that is a big deal. And so when I want to jump into the thing I love the most about this game, and that is heroic actions. It is something completely right. unique to this game that, um, you know, Age of Sigmar and 40K are slowly, slowly kind of adopting with a bit of their stratagems and command abilities. Um, but heroic actions as such an amazing wealth of tactical options. Um, you know, you're talking about heroic moves and being able to sort of pull back a bad priority role with might, being able to, to pull back um, a bad combat engagement uh, with heroic combats, um, to be able to um, shoot first with heroic, um, you know, with heroic 
what is it or shoot yeah that's it yeah. uh or be able to single out an enemy hero with heroic accuracy regardless of how many in the ways there is to being able to um launch a super powered black dart or transfix with the heroic channeling you know, there's all of these heroic actions that you can do that give you such amazing tactical opportunities that, you know, when we talk about armyless building, might is a component of that. How much might you have determines what your tactics are. Or, well, I think I think it's because you know, like all of those heroic actions that you're talking about, the thing that makes them so interesting is because when you're on the back foot, let's say if you've mm -hmm. lost priority, for example, it allows you to sort of um, go out of sequence or disrupt the sequence of the game and to try to get yourself an advantage. And I think it's really unique to this game. Mm -hmm. And before you totally crush my best uh, thing that I like about the game, because we're like pretty much on the same page, um, I'll, I'll sort of expand my answer. Uh, you're, you're going with heroics. For, for me, it's the, for, it's, it's the heroic stat line of, of heroes. Mm. So a very similar answer to yours, but like the heroic stat line in, in this game uh, is, is unique to MESBG. So, you know, if you've ever played any other fantasy skirmish games or whatever, um, they don't have stuff like that. So that's what i really like about this game and like you've you've just spoken a lot about might but besides heroic actions like might can affect dice rolls too so like that is huge even without the heroic actions the ability to increase your die rolls in critical situations is gigantic uh having fate on your models where you can uh, save yourself from being removed from the table having will to keep yourself on the board by passing courage tests or you know some models can use it to like reroll priority uh there's a like a number of different special rules we're seeing now that are keyed off of will like these heroic stat line or the heroic stat line of models i think it's like an excellent excellent thing mm -hmm. for the game and i think that combined with the heroic actions which are basically ways to use might are, are the things that really make this game not only unique but like so good and different agreed um i i, I totally agree right it's, it's just sort of an extension of heroic actions the heroic stat lines and um there is one thing i don't like now like i've talked about sort of mechanics in, in our previous question um mm -hmm. And, and that's just, you know, um, I love the game, don't get me wrong. But there's one thing I find very odd, among many other things. But this one is sort of, it came out from the idea of, like, the thing I love the most, which is heroic actions. And that is keying around one particular action, heroic strike. Mm -hmm. And this, I don't know why they cap heroic strike at 10. Right? Like the fight value. They cap fight at 10. Right. Yeah. And I don't know why they do that because all of a sudden the value of heroic strike changes depending upon how much fight, how high your fight value is, your base fight value, mm -hmm. to the point where the higher your fight value is, the lower your heroic strike, the, the impact it has on you, which doesn't make any sense to me. They shouldn't yeah. cap it. Like a Gilgalad who's fight nine, the dude who's been around for thousands of years before he dies to Sauron. Okay. Um, but not before kicking the bejesus out of Sauron. Okay. 
he literally is capped at 10, even though he's fight nine. Yeah. And Lurtz can strike up to a 10 and duel him almost on an equal level. I'm like, yeah. get out of here with that. Like, yeah. Gilgalad, if he chooses to strike up, you are not catching him. It's GG, yeah. accept it. He is he is higher than you. And you know what? You got to, like, bide your time until Gilgalad runs out of might. And then once he gasses himself on might, then it's your time to strike and win. But, like, to be able to say, well, you know what? I just need to bring... Um, some dude with an elven blade, maybe even if he's fight five or fight six, strike him up to a 10. Yes, the, the probability of that's low, but still, it happens more often than you think. And all of a sudden, I'm now fighting Gilgalad at even level. Well, I think like the the cap of 10, it, like in regards to Heroic Strike, it is kind of odd that they maintain the cap of 10 like the cap of 10 i think is is completely understandable if you're talking about applying it to like the base stat line yes, before correct. any modifiers but especially when you're using a modifier that's designed to increase your stat maintaining the cap it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because really what it does is for heroes heroes whose fight value gets closer and closer to 10 so if, if you're a fight six or fight seven or fight eight, whatever, it means that strike is becoming progressively weaker. It's becoming progressively less efficient for you to use. Mm -hmm. Which is counter, in, like is counterintuitive to the actual idea of what heroic strike is supposed to be. It's yeah. supposed to like pump you up to like super heroic levels for a very brief moment in time, a single dual roll or a double. Uh, in those combo strike uh, combat yeah, situations. Yeah, when you're when you're going like epic on. hero against epic hero, who are going to be approaching ten when they strike, it, it's like what the actual number is is kind of irrelevant. It's just like at that moment in time, who's better, person A or person B? Exactly. Right? And I'll give you two examples. One, the bash special strike. To my knowledge. You take a d6 plus strength, you add the two together, and whichever is the higher, the, the effect occurs, right? There's no cap mm -hmm. on this, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a Balrog um, and you're a dwarf, um, an Erebor dwarf, a Grimhammer, and you're going to two-handed bash me, well, your strength four, because let's assume you have the Hearth Guard or whatever their equivalent rule is, your strength four with that weapon, your strength four plus a d6 plus one, right? I'm mm -hmm. strength 10 plus a d6. There's no cap on me, right? Yeah, there's no cap at strength 10 is what you mean. But there's no cap for the special for the bash special strike roll off, right? Right. There's then there's Bill's special strike. Remember Bill the troll where he like mints him fine. I yeah. take my strength and I roll a d6. You take your strength, roll a d6 and the difference is how many wounds I do to you. Again, mm -hmm. there's no cap on that. Mm -hmm. But so these are opposed roll offs, no cap. But the most common opposed roll-off, Heroic Strike, there is a cap. So, yeah, so your point is in those you can get over 10 and in the other one 10. you can't. Right, so, and it's yeah, like... I get it. Yeah. You know, and it's like, if the objective here is to make good heroes really good, let them be really good. You know, mm -hmm. and if that causes Gilgalad to be so overpowered that he's auto-taken, well, guess what? 
Like I look at Rivendell armies and I don't see Gilgalad all that often. I see mm-hmm. Elrond. He outshines everybody else because of what he brings. So guess what? If I only saw Gilgalad on the table, you're losing utility to gain his killing power. Well, there's ways mm-hmm. around Gilgalad if you're an evil player. You shoot his horse. You box him out. You feed him one model at a time. There are strategies to get around Gilgalad other than just running your hero into combat with him. Because... If you are a less skilled opponent, you do not charge the most powerful person on the t- on the field in the vain yeah. hope that you somehow beat them. Like that just doesn't happen. You know. All right, let me let me go on so to my. So pitch me mine. Pitch me yours. Sorry. All right. So we talked before on Michael's question about the the meta shifting, and we we talked about you know ring wraiths um, on fell beasts and being the old thing, and the new thing is good mounted heroes. Well. Both of them brought what I consider to be one of the things that maybe needs a little bit of attention in the game, and that is prone slashed trapped, mm. doubling your attacks. It, it's it's too strong. It's just way too strong, uh, and it makes all those models that we just mentioned so incredibly powerful when they're mounted mm-hmm. that like they're not paying enough points for their mounts you know if you're paying 10 points for a mount mm-hmm. but he's he's taking your attacks from three to seven or whatever it is it's it's crazy or i guess what would it be it would be, It'd be double three plus one times two is eight yeah so it's taking your stat of three attacks to aid attacks for wounding for ten for wounding. For, for wounding yeah mm-hmm. um for uh for 10 points and, yeah. and it's it's like every time you know a big model like this is able to trap or knock somebody prone they're gonna almost always kill it yeah and it's just in my opinion it's far too good it's 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 far better than the points that you're paying for it mm-hmm. and i i would think that that rule would be better served if it was just plus 1 plus 1 attack that's it that's all you get i would love to see um like them introduce um them split plus 1 attack and knockdown right mhm and I would love for them to do that with armored horses or armored mounts, right? So if you're riding a regular horse, you get plus one to your attack roll, right? You don't get the knockdown. But if you're running the armored horse, there's spikes, there's the armor on the actual horse, which is giving added weight. And that all of a sudden gives you not plus one attack, but mm. it gives you that momentum to get the knockdown. So you yeah. either pay for the plus one attack or you pay for the knockdown, but you pay more for the knockdown because offensively the knockdown just does so much more damage, right? Yeah. But it's not so prohibitively more expensive. It's like 10 points for a horse, 15 points for an armored horse. You throw in plus one defense if you want on the armored horse, which then gives you the added resilience, but it also gives you that knockdown. And so you're separating the two because what it comes down to is your mount shouldn't do both. It should not give you plus yeah. one attack and knockdown. It should give you one or the other. And monstrous cav should get you both. 
it's kind of two issues that we're sort of talking around here. One is trapping and doubling your your number of uh, to moon mm-hmm. rolls. That, that's one thing. And then the other thing is the value of a horse or a mount versus the cost. Mm-hmm. Like, how much are you paying for in the price of the horse to be able to move 10 inches instead of six? How much are you paying for being able to get plus one uh, attack in the dual roll mm-hmm. when you're attacking infantry. How much are you paying for having ablative armor? Because like when someone shoots at you, you're now there's an in the way and you can hit the horse. Like mm-hmm. are not those three things possibly equal to 10 points without even doubling the number of wound rolls? Well, if you think like, about it, like, like it's 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 got to be worth something. It's got to be worth at least five of the ten points. Those three things I just mentioned, which means if that's the case, you're you're only paying five points for doubling the number of rolls to wound. So what they've done, so like we can actually work this out, kind of like when when we look at movement upgrades on warriors or. Almost any upgrade on a warrior is one point. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. two. And on a hero, it's generally worth five points or ten, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at, you know, uh, Maher's Marauders, right? What is it? I think it's two points for an extra two inches of movement, I think it is. Or is it one point for an extra two inches I think of it's movement? one. So it's one point to go from movement six to movement eight, right? You haven't even got to ten yet. So all of yeah. a sudden, it's two points to go from movement six to movement ten, Right. But that's just two points right there, mm-hmm. which in hero terms is almost 10 points, right? By, by that virtue of if I'm spending one point on a, on a warrior to give him plus one strength, I will commensurately spend five points on a hero to give him plus one strength. Yeah, that's so just, you're, you're, you're comparing the cost for increasing a stat on a warrior versus increasing it on a hero. So right. it's got to be worth more on a hero. Exactly. So yeah. it, to get f- four extra inches of movement immediately is 10 points. Right, but you also have to look at the permeance of a warrior or of, of a horse, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like a horse can die much easier than the hero, right? So maybe subtract five points from that. Okay, cool. So that gives you five points for the movement side of things. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? An attack is on a hero, an attack is like 10 points, yeah, you know. But let's say because it's not a permanent boost, it's only on the charge again, it's a five point upgrade. But now you're looking at the knockdown. Well, the knockdown is ginormous, it's effectively creating a trap that has to be worth at minimum five points, mm-hmm. if not 10 points. So, what you're looking at is your horses should, if you want them to be what they are today which is the plus one attack, the movement bonus, the ablative armor, and the knockdown. You want all of that. They should be pumping in at like 15 or 20 points a piece yeah. for a hero. And we, ha- we haven't even mentioned the fact, too, that if you're a hero and you're on a horse and it does all these things for you and you call a heroic combat, well, you get to move 10 inches again. Mm-hmm. Right? right? It's like, it's so good on a hero. Like, it's so good that it's too good. Right. It's so good that it's too good. And then what ends up happening is that you start looking like, case in point, um, the dwarves of Khazad-dûm, right? You look at them and you say, like all their heroes, they, they do damage. They'll have plus wound modifier weapons. They have axes. They have high resilience. They have three attacks in many cases. Why don't they do as much killing power as uh, other armies? Because they're not mounted. 
I guarantee you, if you gave all of those dwarves goats, Khazad-dum army would increase in competitiveness because their dwarves, their dwarven heroes, like imagine the king's champion with a goat and the mm-hmm. knockdown. He, he would just be, like the competitive level of that army would jump up uh, a notch almost immediately just by giving your heroes mounts. Yeah, well, that's that's why all of these armies, like we talked about the shield wall, um, your shield wall is 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 just the wet blanket of your army. Just stand there, occupy the other guy's army, and don't get killed. And if you get a few kills, great. All my heroes are over here, and they're going to do all the killing for the army because they're all on horses. Right, and it's like well, I actually mentioned like we you the heroes the sorry the horses or the mounts point level should be commensurate with the tier level of the hero, right? So like a horse should on a fortitude level should be 10 points because a, a hero of fortitude um, is less damaging than a hero of valor, right? Just because mm-hmm. you generally have more tricks when you're a hero of valor or higher. So then you look at heroes of valor. Well, they should be 20 points for a horse. Heroes of legend should be 30 points. And if you want to give a hero of legend's horse two wounds, sure, whatever. But the point is, like, mm-hmm. look at all the Lord of the Rings movies. How many times can you point to a scene, a battle scene, and say that hero is mounted? I'm on hand. None of the none of the fellowship was mounted. Battle of Minas Tirith. Guess what? Yes, was uh, Prince Imrahil mounted? Yes, with the Rohan mounted? Yes, but was the felt like the the three hunters were they mounted? No, the battle at the um, the, the Black Gates were they mounted? No, like mm-hmm. so many moments they were not mounted. Like. And in most combats, like in realistic warfare, you're not always mounted, right? Foot well, heroes do like exist. In, <laughs> in, in all of this kind of stuff, like in you're talking about realistic warfare, it's like your quote unquote heroes are are there to like encourage and embolden your army. They're they're not there to do all the killing. Right. right. Okay. Now it's a little bit different here because we're we're talking about a fantasy game. We're talking about Lord of the Rings. We're talking about a setting where you want your heroes to be amazing. Well, that's what their heroic stat line is for. That's why they have might. That's why they can do heroic combats. That's why they have special war gear that gives them all kinds of bonuses. Mm-hmm. Like throwing the horse, which which causes the the knock prone slash trapped. It's just. I don't know. It's just, it's too much. Like, it's just too, too much. And like, that was the problem in the old edition and why everybody got sick and tired of Ring Race on Felbeast. Well, why? Because they were killing everything instantly when they got their hands on it. Well, now it's the same thing. It's just, it's not a Ring Wraith anymore. You know, it's Elisar or it's, uh, you know, Glorfindel or whatever. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. It's just a different model doing it now. Right. I mean, it, it should give you one or the other. It should either be a horse should give you plus one attack or, or knock down. Which means I'm trading my ability to win the dual role for my ability to kill models, right? And that's mm-hmm. a big thing because those two attack models, a charge in, get the third attack on the charge, get the banner reroll to go up to four attacks. And that's a very reliable chance of hitting the six and murdering uh, infantry. But if you all of a sudden take away that plus one attack and say, yes, you get your knockdown. Well, I'm a two attack model that goes to 
three with a dual roll with with a banner all of a sudden it's like i only have three attacks and if my banner's not in good position i only have two attacks on this charge Ugh, that's not good like i don't stand a really good chance of barreling over models you know who asked this question anyways uh, it was mateo mateo See, like mateo way to go you like look at you turned us into a couple of really old negative fuddy duddies here hey this is this is good discussion <laughs> all right this is good discussion yeah it sounds like we hate the game and it's the, quite the opposite we no, love the game love the game we're just like zeroing in on a couple of things that like we think really need to be given some attention good heroes right? on mounts cause evil armies to struggle yeah yes can you as an evil player win the day absolutely but do like it comes down to this it is easier to play a good army with good heroes on mounts than it is to play an evil army with the tricks needed to lock down a hero on a mount mm -hmm. it is absolutely okay? it is and it shouldn't be like that like you to gain that level of offensive power from good heroes there should be attacks you know what I mean? Ring race, especially named ones. There's attacks to bringing them, like all the things that changed with them, and that's fine. But why is it ring race aura abilities are almost the only ones in the game outside of the legendary legions that you have to pay will to use? Yeah, it's it's like, like I, I see why they did that. It was one of the one of the nerfings that they gave them, and you know it's kind of kind of good i think i agree yeah. Uh, you know yeah it's a good idea but like it should definitely be applied to a lot of other models in the game as well to like mm -hmm. level the playing field like aragorn's aragorn king lsr he has a six inch banner built in mm -hmm. guess what maybe make that banner be three inches base and if he wants to spend a point of will he can bump it to six cool you tone down his offensive ability and you force him to use his resources. When you saw the breaking of the fellowship, it was awesome. Frodo gets the file, blinding light. Well, he's got to burn a point of will to use it. Yeah. That's cool. Well, who knows? Like, I mean, we're getting erratas now every six months. So, you know, we have seen we have seen some things get errated in the past, like the uh, the Rohan banner, for example, and that. So, you know what? There's the opportunity to make changes as we move forward, and mm -hmm. and that's one of the really good things of having that systematic errata coming out every mm -hmm. six months. It's an excellent, so, yeah. excellent thing. And so, hopefully, some of these things that we're talking about now will uh, will get a little bit of attention. Agreed. Now, I will say this. I will say this. Um, you know, we, we, we harped on a lot of negative things about MESPG. One, I love MESPG. Um, love it to death. Uh, two, I was predominantly an evil player last edition, and I'm only a good player this edition. Um, and three, uh, even looking at the disadvantages that evil armies have, you know, which are not staggering. They're not. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um I still want to dive back into playing evil just so I can beat good armies and good players run good, running good armies just to be able to say, see, I got it still. So oh, yeah. to me, I just see it as a bit of a challenge to sort of how do you, it's a puzzle, right? To, to, to solve, to overcome. Yeah. Uh, so... And whereas I'm the guy that, like, I play Angmar and, like, never take a shade. Well, that's because the, the shade is... That's the, way, that's the way I am. The shade is so last edition. Double barrel white's where it's oh, at. Oh, I know, yeah. The yeah. shade is so last edition. You go double barrel white, 
Uh, you're also supposed to take the Witch King and Gulivar. You haven't figured that one out yet, Don. But you'll get there. You'll get there. I have Gulivar. He's assembled. He's primed. I've actually asked Chris if he'll paint him for me, and he has agreed. Mm. So there you go. I'm going to have a nicely painted Gulivar. Could you ask um, Chris to do a step-by-step on that so we can post it on the the facebook page hey that'd be a good idea post some uh work in progress pics actually i mentioned the shade and it reminded me last episode Mm -hmm. uh what was it somebody or you asked me the was it you asked me the question i did i asked i could get rid of anything and if i could get rid of one thing or something Mm -hmm. and i forget what i picked but Michael Campbell posted on our um, <laughs> on our, on our Facebook page and and was kind of like having at me because he's like, he give you the opportunity to get rid of one thing and you didn't pick the shade. <laughs> you know, honestly, between the two FAQs hitting the two FAQ nerfs hitting the shade, one being uh, allies, and you're requiring to have a um, uh, was it a valor hero to ally to another. Uh, two, mm-hmm. two factions can ally have to be Valor heroes. And the mm-hmm. fact that Angmar itself has very little orange or conv- uh, allies of convenience. Yeah, really um, And then that third nerf, which comes down to the Chilora only affecting, uh, only Huge not nerf. affecting um, Angmar models. It's actually... The shade is in, is in the right place it needs to be, which is... Well, and it has to use a point of will now to use it, doesn't it? Yeah, so they bumped up its will to eight and it has to use a point of will. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. Like, if you're using the shade for seven rounds or eight mm-hmm. rounds, guess what? You've generally decimated your opponent. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess the point is, I'm trying to make is, I thought the shade would be totally balanced if you limited it to only Angmar faction only. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've done that, right? And they've, yeah. they've they've really hindered Angmar's ability to ally out. Um, to bring in other stuff, which is great. So that's actually, you'll notice that the shade is so last year, right? It's all oh, yeah, about yeah. the barrel. Last list. edition, you mean, yeah. Well, yeah. It, well, it's yeah, it's so last nerf. Um, and it's the barrel lights now, right? Because Paralyze is the strongest power in the game. You want to yeah. nerf it, you want to kill a hero, a good hero? Paralyze, boom, done. Yeah. I would say the shade is actually in a good place right now. Um, and you very rarely will see it on the battlefield. And on top of the missions promoting a lot of movement and wanting to control the board, the shade only affects a very small portion of the board. Right, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right on. Okay, well, I guess that is a very long, uh, all that is gold does not glitter. So I guess we better move on to our next segment. Alrighty. What have I got in my pocket? I almost forgot what we were here for. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> what have I got in my pocket? It's my favorite segment where we ask each other like a random MESBG question or Lord of the Rings question. And we yeah. have to answer it on the spot. Yeah. Or we, we talk about book or movies and all that. Like so far, right. we're most, we're mo- I've mostly, I think, been asking MESBG questions. I've been asking the yeah, whole gamut. Been, and like You've been you, asking. You told me like my, my, my questions were crap, you know, they were, they were poop 
And I was just like, okay, well, I'll try well, to your last it. one was good. So one out of uh, 12 or 11. Oh, or whatever, so one far. out of it's 10. <laughs> Alrighty. So here's my question. Are you ready? I guess. Okay. If you could resurrect J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, I already don't like this question. For one book. What would you want him to write about and why? Like write a new book? Write a brand new book. Write a brand new book. What would you want him to write about? It could be a specific era. It could be a specific event. Uh, it could even like, you know, pull, like blow up into a trilogy. Whatever you want it to be. What would you want him to write about and why? Oh, man. That's... Um uh, that's a great question. Well, I know. <laughs> it, it, it's okay, I guess. Wow. It's not bad. Um, but I don't know what I would say to answer that question. <sighs> um, hmm. What I would say is, uh, like, I, I'm going to kind of cheat on the answer. Mm. And, like, I've said many times that what, like, pretty well my favorite part of lord of the rings or one of my favorite parts is the um is kazadum right the mines of moria so i would like to see him write something about that and in fact i will sort of go on a tangent for my answer here there is an author called uh dennis mckiernan mm -hmm. and he wrote uh two short series one was a trilogy and one just had two books in it. And he was an author that was involved in a really bad accident and ended up spending a lot of time in bed. Isn't this amazing how I just know this and yeah. like off the cuffing this? And he ended up writing books and he was actually wanting to write sequels to Lord of the Rings. And he mm. actually approached the Tolkien family and and requested through his publisher if they could publish like a continuance of the stories uh, and they of course shut him down hard of basically of course right? but he still put out a, a series of three books called the iron tower trilogy mm -hmm. um but he put out another um series of two books and that was called um was it the silver silver something mm -hmm. silver call or something like that and the two books were about the retaking of Kazadum, basically oh. and and so like there were essentially hobbits as part of the story and of course dwarves were a big part of the story and so you know essentially like a group of hobbits goes with like an army of dwarves mm. and they like fight their way through the halls of essentially what is Kazadum. Mm -hmm. And eventually at the center of it, they have like a huge pitched battle with like the, the forces of evil, like the goblin horde sort of mm -hmm. at the, at the center of the, the city. It's just a really good series if you haven't actually heard of it or read it. So mm -hmm. that, that's what I would go for, even though it's kind of already been done and it's, it's way more Pulp Fiction-y than anything Tolkien would write. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm going with that for my answer. I'd like to see what Tolkien would do with something like that. Okay, fair enough. That's a pretty good answer. I mean, there's so many. And you're talking about the one where um, 
is it Durin who um, sort of brought together all of the different uh, dwarven tribes into one massive army and swept Khazad-dûm completely clean of uh, goblins? That event in uh, Tolkien history? Um, yeah, I'm not familiar with that actually in, in Tolkien history. You mean like after the War of the Ring or when are you talking? Or before? Or? So this would be the event, I believe, after the War of the Ring, or before the War of the Ring, um, when that sort of like that, that comment or the quote was made where like where the dwarves dug too greedily uh, and they awoke the Balrog. Um, this was the event which cleared um, Khazad-dûm of all the goblins. And almost it was like this huge event uh, that almost wiped out all of goblin kind in like the mountains there. And that's where the dwarves I think you're, moved in. I think you're getting some of your lore mixed up uh -oh. there because Khazad-dûm was... Uh, like it was originally built and occupied and owned by the dwarves and they eventually delved too deep and let loose the Balrog and then they were, Durin was killed and they were driven out. Mm -hmm. However, before the War of the Ring happened, mm -hmm. um, and I forget what caused this to happen, but the dwarves actually gathered a huge army and sort of swept all through the mountain strongholds of the goblin forces, mm -hmm. um, like routing them all. Um, they they, they kind of went to war against the, the goblins. And then they had the Battle of Abanuzabar or whatever it's called. Yeah, and yeah, that, that was like right at the, the gates of uh, Khazad-dum or Moria. And... That is in that's depicted in the Hobbit movies because mm -hmm. in, in the in the Hobbit movies they have um, Azog is there I believe yes, yeah, yes. yeah I'm trying to remember now in the movie because in the movies and in the books it's not the same like um, like Azog is Azog is the son of ah, I forget now I'd have to read it all again but anyways. It, it's not the same in the in the books as the movies, but wait, there isn't you go. isn't Azog no? Isn't Azog actually at the battle? He gets his arm cut off, and in the books, he actually dies. And it's his son Bolg, who's the one who starts the battle of five armies. Isn't that how it goes in the books? But in the movies, Azog somehow lives for an extra like fifty years or something, and he's the main protagonist um, in the movies, which doesn't make sense from a chronological perspective. Yeah, it's it's something along those lines. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah I was thinking about the events of the dwarves sort of brought this monstrous dwarven army together. They sort of the first time since they're sort of forging, they united as one and they swept the mountains clean, almost almost clean of the goblin strongholds. Uh, is that what you're referring to when you're talking about this guy's books? Or was it more of just retaking the Mines of Moria from the Balrog? Yeah, well, th this guy's like this guy's books were actually sort of retaking the lost Dwarven city, which oh, is essentially Khazad-dum, which um, it differs from from the from the Tolkien storyline. So gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, okay, that was rather long-winded. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Us with our stellar recollecting of the facts yeah no not, really, not, not on this side no. not on this side 
<laughs> uh, okay, are you ready for my question? Alrighty, give it, give it. Okay, I'll try to I'll try to go through this quick because it's going to be a slightly different format for a question. Oh, so, right. like I talked before many times about how good your memory is. So, like you would never be able to do this because I would get everything wrong. But I'm going to do this to you because I know you're going to get at least over half of these right. I'm going to ask you ten it questions, this, but it's not going to be true. I'm going to ask you ten questions. Okay, and we're going to see how many you get right. This is kind of like a trivia, a little trivia segment. See, so, the problem with this, I'll say this right now, is I haven't played this game in a year, which means I haven't read the rules or it's not yeah, been reinforced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says 10 questions. My goal is to get three of them right. This is, three, these aren't hard. So what it is, is okay, like sure. a number of hero models in the game have very unique war gear items. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the name of a unique war gear item mm-hmm. that somebody in the game has, mm-hmm. and you're going to tell me what hero it is, and okay. I'm going to ask you 10 of them. Okay? okay, go for it. And I'm going to start off with the first. So these are all war gear items. I'm already saying three. Three of 10 is my bet. Okay, fair enough. Okay, okay. here's the first one. Okay. What hero has the war gear item Iron shod hooves. Iron shod hooves. What in the? <laughs> <laughs> Iron shod hooves. Yeah. Oh my god. Um. Do they have any other items on them, or is it just they have just iron shod? That, hooves? I believe that's their only war gear item. Only war gear item. Oh, this is drive iron. Okay, you're. Taking too long. Counts as a loss. Okay, Counts fine. as a wrong. It's it. Bill the Pony. Bill the Pony. Oh, frig off. I don't even read the Fellowship Army list. <laughs> ah, yeah. You're going to pull down. obscure, obscure um, references here that I have no clue. Okay, here's another one for you. Okay. What hero has the war gear item Poison Blowpipe? Gone, Barry, gone. Right. Okay, thank God I got one of them. <laughs> iron shod hooves any horse has iron shod hooves okay what about a walking cane a walking? which counts as a club which counts as a club and it's a named hero it is it's a named hero a walking cane which counts as a club if you want to pass we can come back to them sure let's pass on this one we're gonna pass. It's okay. Be like a forty-minute segment. I can tell. <laughs> That's why I said we we can pass because we can like focus on the ones you can't get. Okay, here's the next one, number four. Who has the war gear item? A candle. Are you Are you kidding me right now? These aren't these aren't unique war gear items. This is garbage can. You're like. These are like a profiles I would never use because they're clearly not competitive. Is this your way of saying pass? Um. Is it a candle or is it a lantern? It is a candle. It's a candle. Yeah. Pass on this one. Okay. Number five. Who has a riding dagger? A riding dagger. Oh, isn't that Sharku? It is Sharku. Ah, because he stabs Aragorn with it and it gives a special rule for it that's pretty janky. That's right. Uh, Okay, number six. Two for five so far. Two are passes, though. We come back to those. Let's come back to those. Okay. Who has a two-handed scythe, which counts as a pick? 
two-handed scythe. Yeah. Hmm. No, no. So do you know what a scythe is? It's like that Grim Reaper looking thing for thre- threshing wheat, isn't it? Correct. Oh, um... Oh, for God's sakes, now I don't remember his name. It's got three dogs. Farmer Maggot. Correct. There we go. He's pulling it together. This guy got three answers. I've already won. <laughs> I've already won. <laughs> Moral victory. Okay, who has a war gear item, which is called a fork? I swear to God, he just picks these stupid ones. <laughs> Where's the Anderil point? <laughs> <laughs> I swear you just pulled all the Hobbit and Ruffian ones. Because uh, I'm pretty certain that's almost all of them. And I have not... The problem is, I haven't read that book. That's the big issue. So I have this no idea nothing, what these new profiles This are. has nothing to do with a Hobbit or a Ruffian. A fork? It has to do with tableware. Tableware? It is a fork. Pass. That you eat your meals Pass. with. Pass. Pass. Passing on a fork. Oh my god, it's so easy. No, it's not. It's not. Okay, who has, who has this? This is a gimme, okay? Okay. It is a scourge. A scourge. Yes. What unique character, uniquely named character, has a scourge? Oh, God. Do you know what a scourge is? It's like, uh, it's a throwing, it's it's almost like a whip. Correct. Um, It's got to be a ruffian. I guarantee you've played against it, like, many, many times. You gonna pass on this, or are you? Yeah, I'm gonna pass. See, I told you, man. Like once you get me going with the passes, I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna blank out. See, I'm not good at this. If you pick, Excellent. like, that's real, what I was going if for. If you picked real war gear items on a competitive model, then I would say I could know these. Okay, this is a real war gear item on a competitive yeah, sure it is. model. A cleaver, a which cle- counts as a sword. A cleaver. And by cleaver, I mean like those big honking things that you chop meat with. A cleaver, which counts as a sword. Um, yep. Cleaver, no. I smell a pass coming up. <laughs> uh, mm. Let me go on to the next one, because it's a gimme. Okay, go on. Next it'll, one. Make, it'll bring your confidence back. No, I probably won't. Okay, number 10. Who has an umbrella oh lobelia correct see the problem is you've chosen all crappy characters who have unique <laughs> items you haven't chosen the actual real ones most of these are like ruffians and hobbits i can already guarantee you this <laughs> okay so we'll go back through these but you're only going to get like a few seconds Hold and up. then i'm going to declare it as being wrong oh my god okay okay who has a candle well let's go back to the very beginning that wasn't who the first one wasn't who was a candle Oh, sorry, it's a walking cane. The walking cane, thank you. Which Stab counts in the as a dark. club. Which counts as a club. Stab in the dark. Um, old Man Bilbo. Old Man Bilbo? No, that is wrong. Okay, who the is correct it? answer was Paladin Took. Right, so you chose all Hobbit characters because I don't care about the Hobbit army list. Uh, and that's pretty much what this is. Got it, okay. No, there were three. You got two out of three correct, so you're uh-huh. totally wrong. Okay, so what about the candle? The candle. Um, see, I'm getting salty at this point. My boo-boo sting face is coming out. I can already tell. 
<laughs> if you need me to give you a hint, I can give you a hint. Sure. What's a, give me a hint. Okay, this hero that has a candle is most frequently seen with another... Hold up, I already know what it is. Um, oh, it's... Uh, uh, Goldberry. Correct. There we go. I was going to say that it's... that. Um, She's with a character whose war gear item is a large leaf on which he carries a small pile of lilies. That's probably the most unique and ridiculous <laughs> war gear item in the game. I'm glad you didn't say that because I'd be like, huh? Okay, last two. Uh, okay. Fork and Scourge. Fork and Scourge. Oh, and Cleaver. There's three. Oh, Fork, Scourge, and Cleaver. Okay. Hmm. Fork, a Scourge, and a Cleaver. So we'll go for the fork first. Hold it belongs. Up, hold up, hold up. Okay, I, I'll give you hints if you need. But sure, let me... give me a hint. Okay, it belongs to an evil model. Oh, it belongs to a fork belongs to an evil model. Yeah, and I can give you one other hint if you want. Sure. It's a Hobbit era model. Oh, a Hobbit era model. Like a Hobbit book. Hobbit model. book model. Okay, for a fork. Yeah. Um. Oh my God. And he hangs around with two other guys, and one of them has a knife and a spoon. <laughs> knife and a spoon. So one has a fork, oh, one has a knife, uh, and one has a spoon. So one of the three trolls. Um, yeah, it's Bill the Troll. Bill the Troll. That counts. You get that, that, you get that one wrong. I get that was right. It's one of the three trolls. I, I gave it down. to you. Come on. God, that doesn't matter. Okay, what about the, what about the Scourge? The Scourge. I'm sure I got this wrong already. All our listeners are just dying because this is so easy. It's not. It's not. I you guess have, it I is if you play the army. I don't play the army. That's the thing. Yeah, you uh, don't. I don't. Give me a hint. Also evil. Also Hobbit era. Also evil. Also Hobbit era. Uh, no. Oh, uh, Grinna. Correct. There we go. And last but not least, Cleaver. Cleaver. Give me a hint. Also Hobbit era, but mm-hmm. it is good. A good Hobbit era. Okay, flip. Uh, no. Uh, no. And this hero has been in Bag End before. Hero has been in Bag End, so it's one of the dwarves. Um, or is it a dwarf? Uh, has been in Bag End. It's obviously not Gandalf, because Gandalf doesn't wield a cleaver. <laughs> Gandalf is the cleaver, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the goblin cleaver. Oh, the goblin cleaver. Ah, uh, man. Okay, um, I gotta put bomber. you out of your agony. Bomber. It is bomber. Yes, I got it. it I is. called it. I'm like, who's the one guy in the dwarves who wields a quick cleaver? The guy who probably eats a lot. That's he needs the cleaver to cut meat. So in the end, you got seven, although a couple of those were gimmies. Nah, so you did gimmies. much better than you figured you were gonna okay, do. There we go. You Good said job. I'd get Good more job. than that. Thank you. Thank you. That was agony. <laughs> that was yeah that I'm was gonna probably pull together a list at some point in time you're not gonna know it and it's gonna be all the hyper competitive models and their war gear options uh, just because oh, I want to see on that. you won't get 100% on that you'll, you'll struggle <laughs> you'll be like what army I don't know that army Do we even have that army where's that on the matrix <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, like that's like you keep. I you warned me in one of the early episodes that you had this like really ridiculously long or hard question to ask me, and every time you do this segment, I'm expecting that question. So far, still haven't had it. So. 
No, we haven't had it because we haven't had to fill time. <laughs> oh, it's a t- it's a time. Yes, it requires a timely. Well, answer. no, it, it's it's an answer that if I give it to you, you will be going on for quite some time. So, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I got it. Okay. Exactly. All right. Well, that's it for what have I got in my pocket, and mm-hmm. I guess that's it for this episode. And we can we can wrap this puppy up. I think so. All right. Well, do you have any parting words? Well, parting words. Let's see. Um, good to parting know. Parting thoughts? Well, now it's on, like Donkey Kong. I'm going to be bringing these harder questions. I was giving, giving you some soft little, you know, like little lob, lob, lob you some softballs out there, and you're smacking them out of the park, and I'm giving you the opportunity. But you threw that one at me. It's war, my friend. I'll remember this for next time. <laughs> Reality is, I probably this won't will be the last time. time we do all that I've got in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only real thing I can think of is uh, if you haven't signed up, um, give a, a follow or a like to our Facebook page, North of the Shire Podcast. And if you got any uh, questions you'd like to throw our way in a, a less Facebooky way, uh, just shoot us an email over at North of the Shire Podcast One, the number one, at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you. Yeah, awesome. We definitely will do that. Um, and we probably could use a few more listener questions because, you know, we go through them so quickly, um, you know, so concisely and, and fast. And don't ramble really. whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, send us some questions um, and we will we will get them answered for you. But I guess that's it for this episode. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we will see you again next time on... North of the Shire.